The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Great to be with you guys tonight. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, the title of the message is The Power of Remembering. Pick up with me in verse 1, and we'll go ahead and read the chapter It says this, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe a man and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Verse 9, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day, for the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, The people passed over in haste, verse 11. And when all the people had finished passing over the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel And they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. We'll pause and pray there. Father, we thank you so much for this chapter. We thank you for this story. And Father, I just pray that you would use this to challenge us, to encourage us. Holy Spirit, you are the one who brings things back to remembrance, the power of remembering, the call, the command to intentionally remember what you have done. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that's your job. John 14, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit brings things to remembrance. Remind us of the word. Remind us of the things that you have done in our life. And and may we understand the importance of that, of remembering you and the works that you have done, as we'll see for ourselves and for others, God. So lead and guide us. Challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I I know most of us here are on social media, and I think for most of us, we have mixed feelings towards it. Sometimes we love it, other times we hate it. Sometimes we check how many likes did I get on that photo, and other times we're thinking, why am I dialoguing in this? I'm going down a rabbit cesspool of a hole, and I can't get out, and I don't know why. I've just commented anyway. But one thing I do enjoy about uh, social media is every so often it will bring a memory back. 
You know, it catches you off guard. It'll say like, on this date eight years ago, you were here. Or on this date 10 years ago, you and Jimmy became friends. Like, no, I was friends longer than that. But I guess on Facebook, it says, you know, all of a sudden these memories will come back. And, and I love it because you'll, you'll pick it up and it'll make you think about, oh, yeah. And you'll stop and you'll stare at it. And sometimes, you know, like Annie or I will share with one another. Remember this when we were in France and our kids? And it's so weird because in that moment, you you kind of get transported back. You're reliving it. You're thinking about it. It blows my mind. Like, man, my kids, how did they get so big so fast? How did we get here? And and I I love that. And that photo can be powerful because it's not just, oh, look at, I know them. I, I better remember where and where we were and what was going on. And memory is like that. There's things that trigger our memories. Obviously, a photo can do that. Uh, a song can do that. For some of you, you know, you, when you fell in love, you were listening to some song. You all have your song. Maybe it was the, the song you first danced to at your wedding, and that comes on. It's like, and you get transported. One of the most powerful triggers of, of memory is our, our, our sense of smell. Uh, when you smell a cologne, or maybe for some of you, you smell like uh, an aftershave, or for some of you, you smell Axe body spray, and you're like, oh my goodness, is there a junior high around here somewhere? You know, I, <laughs> you know the, these powerful triggers, you know, and it'll bring you to a place that will re- remind you of somebody. Scientists tell us, and I was reading this week, that we actually never forget anything. We lose the ability to recall, but the information gets stored up in our brains. All that data remains up there oftentimes for us unable to unlock. According to an article in Think Magazine, it said this, the human brain can store enough data to fill several million books. Isaac Asimov, the scientist, said this, the memory capacity of even an ordinary human being is fabulous. We may not consider ourselves particularly adept at remembering technical data, but consider how many faces we can recognize how many names that we can call up, how many words that we can spell and define. It is estimated that in a lifetime, a brain can store one million, or excuse me, one billion bits of information. Yet in spite of all that, how I can remember so much, it's amazing the things I do forget. I see somebody that I've met countless times and I cannot for the life of me remember their name. And it's embarrassing. Like, I've prayed for you. I've talked with you. You've cried. I've cried. It's like, what is your name? Lord, I just pray for this brother. Lord, hey, man, how's it going? You know, whatever it might be. It's like, you just can't remember. And it's like, you can feel it, like, in your brain. You know that feeling, like, you forget something, but it's like, I don't know. There's like, a, you can actually feel it, but it's like, you can't grab it. And there's something that happens subconsciously. It's like, you can't let it go. It's just like, it just drives you nuts. And sometimes later, hours later, sometimes in the middle of the night, you, you, you wake up and you're like, oh yeah, that's what their name was. It's like all of a sudden, it, something unlocks and something gets triggered and released. I did hear one great way to improve memory is to loan somebody money, because you never forget that. <laughs> You never forget when you've given somebody a 20, a 30, whatever it might be, 30 bucks. And it bums me out when I forget the things that I should remember, like people, places, important events. And sadly, I can very quickly remember the things that I'm supposed to forget, the things that God has forgiven, the things that God has delivered me from, the things I want in my past never to bring up again. Just like God has said, I've chosen to forgive and to forget. So these important events, and yet we remember dumb things. Like I can remember my phone number as a kid, 909-861-8941. And yet I can't remember anybody's phone number anymore. 
Who, who knows anybody's phone number anymore? I can't even give you directions to my house. I can drop a pin, but I can't really even tell you the street names anymore. It's just like this whole new way of doing life. Well, tonight we're going to see the chapter really is about memory and the importance of remembering and how absolutely critical it is to be intentional about certain things in our life when God shows up for us to take the time to do something, some way, somehow for us to remember, to commemorate, not just to simply look back and go, wow, but what that can mean in our present and in our future. That God is saying to Israel, he's saying to us, there's certain things we must never forget. So why we need to remember, what does it actually mean to remember? And finally, just a few implications of the power that uh, memory has, not only in our own lives, but actually in the lives of those around us. So let me just kind of summarize the story. I just read through it, and many of us are familiar with it. We, we understand the story. But at this point, right on the heels of chapter 3, they have, you remember Daniel walked us through that. The priests stood. They had to actually get in the water. It was different than the Red Sea. This time, they actually had to put their feet in the water by faith. And the moment that they did, the waters receded. And at this point, the end of chapter three, the nation has just about passed over. Now, mind you, historians tell us, biblical historians, about two to three million Israelites were there in the wilderness. Two or three million people have to make their way across the Jordan. It says there, I think in verse 10, that they made their way in haste. They were like, hurry up. It was like herding cattle, like move it along. You know, it's dry. Now keep going. But before they are finished... God gives a command that, on one hand, must have seemed very strange, because strategically it might have said, hey, hurry up, get to the other side, hurry up before the enemy, you know, you know, cuts you off to the left or the right. There could have been all kinds of reasons why just move on and get as far away as you can from this moment, but God says, stop. It may not have made sense strategically or militarily, but it had everything to do with their present and their future. It made absolute spiritual sense. God says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to appoint 12 men. Each one of the tribes must get a stone. And from the middle of the dry riverbed, gather one of these stones, put it on your shoulder, and I want you to set up a memorial. This is going to serve a very powerful purpose for you uh, and for your kids, and we'll see, and also for the nations around. This memorial is going to be a, uh, just, just at a memorial, but he also says a sign of what God had done in that moment. Now, it's interesting when you read the text, there's actually two piles or two stones that are set up or two sets of stones, excuse me. One we'll see eventually in verse 20, it's set up at their base camp, a, a town by the name of Gilgal. That's their base camp. And we'll get into their story or that uh, city in just a little bit uh, next week and the week after. Um, but there's also a, a pile of stones that we also see that was set up there uh, in the middle of the Jordan. Eventually, the waters would cover that, but some would always know, Josh would always know, and we'll see a little bit later, they would always be able to say, yeah, here's a pile here, but there's also another pile in the middle of the Jordan where we walked on dry ground. This made, again, no practical sense, but it made absolute spiritual sense. And more than anything, what we see throughout this chapter, and I love it, and really we see one of the keys to their continued success. Here's a key, it's very simple. Every time it says God commanded them, and they obeyed. <laughs> That's everything. As we'll get to chapter six in a few weeks, it's like the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Well, they had to obey. And whether it seemed like it made sense or not, the one thing that we see repeated over and over again is God says, do this. Joshua gives the order. The people listen and obey. Very different 
than their fathers and, and mothers had done in the wilderness. They didn't really obey. They murmured and complained. But this next generation says, okay, we're going to do what you say. And I love here too, because in the middle of this, there's so much that is spiritual. There is so much that is about God supernaturally showing up. But there's also these physical things that God asks them to do. We, we saw back in chapter one, every place where your foot you know, puts itself to the ground, God says, I've given it to you. There's, there's this constant, I wouldn't even say tension, it's actually being married together, actually, of something physical as well as spiritual. Something that God says, do this, that it's absolutely spiritual. And so, so often we think, well, this is spiritual and it's kind of mystical and then this is really practical. God's like, I don't know the difference. It's both. And we make this weird difference in our life and God says, I don't know any difference. You know, we, we, we divide up our time between spirit, you know, uh, secular and sacred. And God says, I don't know any such dichotomy. There's nothing like that as far as I am concerned. And so these physical stones were deeply spiritual and they were required to do it. And, and by faith through obedience, they do it and God honors and we'll see it goes well in their life. One of the things that we see throughout and what this chapter tells us as the Bible tells us over and over again, do not forget. <laughs> do not forget this. Do not forget that. Remember this. Remember that. Jesus will say, remember me. Set up these stones. Before you leave, before the priests get to the other side, you must stop. You must pause. You must intentionally do something to remind yourself. Because in that moment, you think, I'll never forget this. How could I ever possibly forget this thing? And yet we know we forget. You remember after 9-11, I, I mean, we all remember where we were at. I mean, if you were alive, you remember where you were at <laughs> when you heard the news. You, were, you remember how, what it was like to be glued to the TV. You remember I was in Maui. I got woken up. We all did it at 5.30. I'll never forget that. And you remember all the, the slogans, never forget. It was like spray painted ever, never forget, never forget. And I remember like a year later or something, I, I saw something that came through on Twitter or something. It was like by the monument. Somebody said, never forget. And it says, I forgot. <laughs> You know, and we tend to forget. And the next generation, you know, like my son Noah was five months old, but my other two kids, they kind of know about it, you know? And so they kind of remember, but it's amazing the further we get away from things that we think, you'll never forget that. But we tend to forget. And spiritually in our life, when God shows up, we sadly tend to forget. And so the importance of being reminded. Paul would write this to the Philippians. He says, for me to write the same things to you, it's not tedious. It's not boring. It's not, you know, just me being monotonous. But for you, it's safe. He says, I'm going to keep writing some of the same things. I already told you this. I taught you this. In fact, I wrote to you before on a previous occasion, a letter that we don't know about. But I'm going to say the same thing to you because it's safe, because you need to hear this. Because, you know, Jeremiah says God's word, God's word is like a hammer. Sometimes it's got to hammer it into us a little bit. We've got to be reminded. Peter said the same thing. He says, so I will remind you of these things. Was it new things? Was it some brand new revelation? Oh, sometimes we need that. But what I find is true more often is that I need to be reminded of things I already know. I need to be reminded of the things that God has done. Reminded, oh yeah, I need to pray. Oh yeah, I need to be in the word. Oh yeah, I need to be. So Peter says, so I'll remind you of these things, even though you know them. He's like, I know you know these things. This isn't new. And you're even firmly established in the truth that you now have. He's like, I know you know them. I know you're grounded them, but I'm going to remind you of them. And it's so important in the Christian life. It was so important for Israel. If they were going to advance, conquer Jericho and the rest of the promised land, that they had to have these stones, not just as a, as a statue. As a, it wasn't just a monument. It was serving a very powerful spiritual purpose in their life. Because if we forget the past, if we forget what God has done, we will really have no power for the present. 
Because faith is built upon God's faithfulness. It's not just something that we conjure up, but no, faith is built on something. There's a substance. It's the, the substance is, is God and what he's done and what he's promised. And so when we remember that, when we look back at his faithfulness, that gives us fuel. It actually builds and it actually enables us to have real faith that pushes us forward. Without that, I have no real basis for faith. It's just blindly believing something. But when I stop and think about what God has done in his word, when I think about what he's done in my life and the life of others, I, I know, oh no, this is who God is. He is real. He has shown up. He will do it again. Why should we remember God? Well, one thing is God's always remembering us. <laughs> Psalm 139, 17 says, how precious are your thoughts to me, David says. David says, not how precious are my thoughts towards you. David says, I have thoughts. But David says, no, how precious are your thoughts towards me? How great is the sum of them? If I would count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David says, when I think about not my thoughts towards you, but you have so many thoughts towards me. It's like the sands on the shore. I could never count how much God is thinking about me. How much God is constantly thinking about you. You see, it's a very real statement to, to believe that memory is what makes us. If we think about our own lives, it's the things that we've seen, been taught, and experienced that really makes us who we are. If we couldn't recall the who, what, where, why, and when of our everyday lives, let alone our past lives, we would not be able to function in this life. If I didn't remember how to drive, I didn't remember how to do this, I mean, so many things I don't even think about that my body has, it re, re, just remembers and it knows what to do. But more than that, the, the, the important moments in my life, and life is experienced and lived and kind of captured in these moments. It really has shaped who I am. It shapes your worldview. It shapes how you see and experience and how you feel and oftentimes how you will react in certain situations. Memories make us who we are. They're, they're, they're kind of like, uh, like a character made of Legos. We're built of blocks of memory that all fit together to form our conscious, our experience. It's why we can say hello, how we can interact, how we know what to do in certain situations. Memories also are about not just the facts, but also how we feel. It's about hopes and expectations, it's about fears, all these things that we are built upon or that things have happened that we build our lives upon. Obviously, and first and foremost, are those memories that we have made or God has made with us. It's common for people to suppose that memory is simply uh, remembering what you had for breakfast. How many of you remember what you had for breakfast? Yeah, a few of you. How many of you skip breakfast? Yeah. How many of you are thinking, breakfast sounds good for dinner. I'm going to eat that when I get home. Anyway. But we think of just memory simply like that. No, no, it's something far more than that. Memories, those, those moments in our life, for some of you who played Little League, you remember your first home run. You might remember the first dance that you had. You, know, you might remember these certain things. And good memories and sadly bad traumatic memories have these ability, has this ability to shape us. We think about riding a bike and you remember the process for some of us that it took to actually learn how to ride a bike and for the muscles to have that memory and the coordination and what to do. But for some of us, we remember mom and dad, maybe right there running alongside. We remember mom and dad there to catch us, there to, you know, like encourage us. Maybe a dad that said, hey, I know you fell, get back up. You know, we remember all those things. And so the memory isn't just about the actual ability to ride a bike, but sometimes it's about the feelings. Sometimes it's about what it feels like to get on a bike, the freedom, the joy of just like, whoo, or, or surfing, or whatever it might be. I mean, on and on, I could give you examples of what 
memory does in our lives. So it's not just about the facts. It's not just about the information. It has so much more effect in our life. And we can see why one of the greatest enemies of faith is forgetfulness. And we know, I don't have to convince you how easy it is to forget. In that moment of crisis, we forget that God had answered prayer, something very similar to that, maybe just a few months prior or a couple of years before when God got us through something very difficult and traumatic, whether it's a physical health crisis, a financial crisis. And we're in that moment, we're like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get out of this? And God's just sitting there like, don't you remember when I sent that check out of nowhere? <laughs> don't you remember when, you know, a friend of yours called and, and shared a verse and it was the exact same thing you were praying about and, and you knew where to go and what job? I mean, we forget. And, and, and God knew that Israel would be tempted to forget. And he says, Stop. Do something physical that is absolutely spiritual. This thing, these piles of rocks, others, that's just a pile of rocks. God says, no, it's one of the most powerful things that you can do to help you going forward. And that's why it's, in, you know, I'd encourage some of us, I don't know what it is for you, some different way for you to remember what God has done in your life. For some saints, they love to die, you know, have diaries or journals. Uh, for some, it might be your favorite Bible. What I'd encourage you to do is not only underline the Bible and highlight the verses that you love, but I love to do this in my own Bible. You know, when I, at home when I read, are those times when God, you know, when he specifically speaks a word to you, like this is a promise. When you're asking for guidance, when you're seeking direction, Lord, where am I, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And it's like, for me, one of the ways that God speaks very clearly, all of a sudden it's a passage of scripture that pertains exactly to what I'm praying about. And it like just jumps off the page. And, and sometimes it's a verse that I, I know, but it's like, it's alive. In that moment, it's not just the logos. It's like a rhema. It's like, yes, this is from the Lord. This is like fresh manna. This is like, and what I'll do oftentimes is I'll, I'll underline it and I'll date it. Like, and I'll stand on, okay, God, I was praying for an answer. I wanted your wisdom and will in a situation. And you know why I date it? Because later on, I'll be tempted to doubt it. <laughs> Did God really speak? I'm not really sure. And I'll go back like, oh yeah, no, I remember in that moment, I was so sure. And it's cool. And you go back, you know, as I go back through my, my Bible and I read through it, I'll come back and they're like, oh yeah, years ago, I remember that. And I don't know what it is for you, but I would say figure out something, some way for you to recount, to recall, to write down, to be intentional about the things that God has done in your life. I remember being up at Forest Home a few years back and it was so neat. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Forest Home, but woo, <laughs> a few but one of the things that's really powerful there, if you know the story, it was there at Forest Home that Billy Graham had this wrestling match with the Lord. He was like, he wasn't sure about the inerrancy of scripture and liberalism was just kind of like being thrown at him and this moment of just wrestling this whole weekend and he just lays it down and he has this encounter with the Lord and he leaves there a changed person. And there's a monument and I love it. In fact, I Googled it. I was gonna put the picture up and I forgot. So you have to Google it later. But Billy Graham himself is standing by this plaque that commemorates this memorial. It, literally, it's a stone of where he had an, an encounter with the Lord. And now he doesn't live there. It's not like he's living there every day and that's his only thing in life. But it was a monument, a memorial. It was assigned to Billy. And, and really for so many others of, wow, look at what God did in his life. And he met him at this place. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Now, what does it mean to remember? And I want to kind of talk about this specifically a little bit and dig, it, dig down a little bit more. And in fact, I remember sharing about this a couple of years ago. And so for some of you who might remember this, it was from a different passage in Corinthians. But we have to understand the meaning of the word remember because it's not just recalling. And I think a lot of Christians, that's where we get it wrong is we only recall. Like we, we know the facts. 
we, we get asked a question, we can tell the story, we can say, and it's just simply we're recalling, but we're not really remembering because to biblically remember something is a lot more than just recalling and rehearsing. It goes much deeper than that. To remember something is to ponder it. It's to savor the thought. It's to think through not only what happened, but the details. To, to really remember is also to think through how you felt and what was going on in the circumstances. In many ways, it's, it's, it's reliving that moment so that it's not a distant, far off thing, but it, it, to really remember it, it makes it present. It's like, it's, it's alive in a sense in that moment. Let me help you with this, and I've given this before, but uh, the original word to remember is a little bit, it's changed a little bit. It's, it's arrived where we're at now, but the opposite originally of remember was the word dismember. So to remember, we know re means to do it again, repeat. You're, you know, you finally put that prefix in front of me over again and do it again, re. But to dismember, we know what, it, dismember, oh, gross. To dismember a body is what? It's to cut it up. It's to take the members of a body and separate. It's dismembered. So to remember is to take a, a part of the body and to reattach to literally remember it, like put it back. Th that's the idea. Does that make sense? And you're like, yes, I'm totally grossed out. And I'm thinking of body parts cut off. Thanks a lot. But that's the idea of things that have been detached. And when we remember them, we're attaching them. We're, we're having the Holy Spirit make it a part of ourselves once again. That's what it means to biblically remember so that it's not just far off. It's not just recalling, but it's actually going, yes, it, there's something powerful that happens. Now, truth be told, we can't do this in and of ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, why he said, it's good that I leave as the Holy Spirit will come, John 14, 26. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit will be to, and he does, is he leads us into truth. He reminds us of truth, the truth of scripture, the truth of who God is, the truth of what he's done in our life. And he leads us not just up to the truth, but I love that he leads us into it, that remembering, that connections, that it comes to a place where it's alive, it's living, it's powerful. It's not just static, not just simply words on a page, but it becomes living and active in our life. Well, how does that happen? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who makes the love of Jesus when we were saved, when we were changed, when we were forgiven, come alive to us. Now, these piles of stone, we are told, aren't just a memorial, though that word is used several times in this chapter. Here in verse six, you also see that it says that this may be a sign. There's a different word here. This pile of stones was meant to be a sign. A sign says something. That when you looked at this, the, these stones, it was to be a point of, of, of revelation. It was a, to be a point of a message going forth. It was a sign that was revealing of something about God and who he is and what he wants to do. It wasn't just a, a statue like here, this has happened this one time, but by calling it a sign, God is saying, no, this is for today. This is present. What happened then means to be and needs to be translated into our present reality. So a sign reveals God's character. It tells us, and it meant to tell them, hey, God is a God who keeps his promise. God is a God who fights on behalf of his people. God is a God who does the impossible. That's what that sign meant to them, and it means to us when we see these things, when we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And sadly, so many Christians remain unchanged. They can recall, but they don't really remember. They don't see things as a sign. There are a lot of people who believe, and yet they're just as selfish. When I say believe, meaning they, 
quote unquote believe. Well, yeah, I know. And yeah, Jesus died. And, but they're just as selfish. They're just as in bondage. They're just as anxious because they're not actively remembering who God is, remembering what he has done. It hasn't really been fused and engrafted in a part of their lives. For Israel, there was going to be a lot of battles to fight. Gilgal would be a base of operations. And every time they came back, they would see those 12 stones. They would see that memorial. They would read and understand the sign. Signs are meant to give direction. Signs are meant to give a location. Here's where I'm at. That's where I need to go. Like when you're driving down the freeway, there's a sign. Okay, here's, a, here's where I am. That's where I need to go. The signs that God gives us are just that. They're not meant to just go, oh, that's nice, but hey, keep going. Go this way. I don't have to convince us, hopefully, by just looking at how important remembering is for our own lives. But more than that, this chapter tells us that remembering isn't just for you. It isn't just for me, but it's for the next generation. Because when we really remember, when we set up things in our life that give the opportunity, that give an occasion for us to talk about it, two times in this chapter, God says specifically, when your children ask, he says, I want you to set this up, not just for you. Oh, this is a sign for you, but this is also a sign. Verse six, it says, not if your children will ask. Because God made kids. <laughs> and God made kids very curious. And any, any parent knows what that's like to be asked their, you know, from their kids a thousand times, why? And you answer, well, why is that? Well, how come? Why? Well, why? Why? God has put this curiosity within all of us, particularly kids, in this pile of rocks, these 12 stones were meant not just for that generation, but for the next generation who were too young to remember who, or who would be born after it. And so when, you know, Moses Jr. and Abe Jr. and Sarah Jr. went with dad on a little weekend getaway to Gilgal National Park. <laughs> they went fishing in the Jordan. They're walking by and they're like, hey, dad. Abba, <laughs> what are these, what, what's, this, what's up with these pile of rocks? And it was the occasion for, the, and the responsibility for the dads, the parents, but particularly it says the fathers, to say, son, let me tell you about those. Let me tell you about the God that we serve. Let me tell you about my God, our God, your God. Let me tell you about what it was like when we walked on the, uh, through this river on, on dry ground. Those stones right there, those stones at one point, you see, see how there's some water stains on those? See how they're kind of stained like they were underwater at one point? That's because they were. See how they're all smoothed out and these other ones, are, every, all the other stones are kind of rough because they've been in the desert climate area. These stones are smooth. Yeah, because they were run over by water, you know, year after year after year. So they're smoothed out. That's why these stones don't look like the rest because they came from the middle of the dry riverbed and I love it here. In fact, I didn't catch it until just as I was reading this out loud to you. He says this, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? I didn't catch it honestly until just a few moments ago when I was reading it out loud because originally I thought, yeah, what do these stones mean? Just, but it's even more than that's personal. What do these stones mean to you? You see, that's what it's about. It, and I think a, a lot of times that's where we fail sometimes. Number one, we fail because we're not intentional about passing on our faith to the next generation. Or we may just give the facts, but that's not what the question says. God says, when they ask, what does this mean to you? You see, these moments that, that was happening in Israel's life that happened in our life, God says, these things are going to be the, one of the greatest occasions and the opportunity for you to pass faith on to the next generation 
for you to pass faith on to your kids. What do these things mean to you? Kids want to know. They need to know. They need to hear, and they need to hear it from you. Dad, tell me about your testimony. And I wonder tonight, how many of you parents have actually ever shared your own personal story of salvation with your kids? Maybe you've brought them to church. Hey, praise God, that's awesome. We have an amazing kids ministry team, but listen, their job is to come alongside you and the, uh, and the responsibility, privilege, and the authority that God has given to you. H- have you sat down and taught the word to your kids? Have you shared it? And more than that, have you shared what it means to you? Have your kids ever even heard your story of what that was like when you gave your heart to Jesus? of what your life was like before. And you can use some wisdom. You may not have to go into all the details. Maybe you have to wait till they get a little bit older. You know, I don't know. But, but that moment of salvation and why Jesus means everything to you. Have you shared that? Because they want to hear it. And maybe for some of you, that means tonight or this weekend, it's time for you to go, you know what? It's time for me and my son or me and my daughter. We're going to have a special lunch, a special getaway weekend. And I'm going to just share my story. I'm going to share the stories from scripture, but I want to share my testimony to them of why I love Jesus, of why we, we as a family come to church so that they can be a part of what this means, what he means to me. More than that, do you guys have stories? Let me ask you this. Is, is there stories of not just your salvation, but of God showing up in your life? Do you have moments where God has answered prayer that you've written down where you can say, yes, God did this. I can't explain it, but God And if you have those stories, you need to share those stories. And if you don't have those stories, you need to say, God, I need to have some of these stories. God, give me some of these stories where you show up in a very powerful way because these 12 stones that they saw, those remind me that that's who you are and that's what you want to do. And so I was praying for that, thinking about that. There's many stories in my own life and Annie's life and with our kids and stuff. But I was saying, Lord, I want to have more. I don't want just them to be like, oh, those were in the past. And that's, what, that's not what these were about. But I believe that God wants all of us to have certain kind of memorial stone moments in our life. Again, these things make us up. They shape us. And, and, and they're not just for us, but they have great power. Uh, the, the Hebrew word testify, I was looking this up. I'd heard it and I'd actually check it out. But the word testify in the Hebrew means to do it again. It has the idea of to repeat And so when we testify, it's like a sign we're saying, hey, this is who God is. And we're saying we want him to do it again. And so when we tell our kids and we tell the next generation, when when they ask, we say, we're passed on. We're saying, do it again. We want to see God do it in your life. We believe God wants to do this in in your life and in your friend's life. And so, yes, do it again. I love reading about uh, the memorial stones, obviously in scripture, the memorial stones in church history, all throughout when God shows up in very powerful ways. I love reading about revivals, not just so I can go, wow, look at what God did then. Oh, I, I delight, I revel, I, I glory in what God has done, but it gives me hope of what God can do again. Uh, of history that you know, has passed beyond where I know the people and you read the books, but even more recent history. I love from time to time, I'll ask John Wickham, who, who was there in the middle of Jesus people revival there up at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Hey, John, what was it like? What was this pastor like? What was that thing like? What did you experience? What did it feel like? And it's not just so I can go, wow, that was cool. Wow, okay. God, do it again. 
That's what it's for. It's not just so you can go, yep, check that off and done it. So no, God, do it again. So I encourage you, if you don't read biographies, if you're not reading church history, you're missing out. It's not just you can have information, but it's really a way to bring faith into your life, fuel to your prayer, some direction of what to ask for, because you realize, no, God has done it before and he can do it again. It also says this, not only for the next generation, verse 22, it says, then you shall let your children know, again, talking about when children ask their fathers, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see, these memorial stones were not just for that generation. They were not just for the people of Israel. They were for the next generation, but they were also for all of the peoples of the earth. And when we testify, when you share your testimony, it's not just for you. Oh, it builds faith. It's not just for your kids, but it's also a way of of saying to all the earth, there is a God who is alive. There's a God who fights on behalf of his people. There's a God who shows up when his people cry out and ask him. Yahweh is different than all the other gods that that generation would know. We need to know it today. Our generation around us needs to know it. He really exists and he is present and he does want to show up on behalf of those who call out to him. One last point just for you Bible students. Some of you guys like these little things. It says in verse 19 that it, they, uh, it says, as the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, that marks 40 years to the day when the people prepared the Passover to leave Egypt. It kind of marks the, the, the beginning of that time of redemption when they got the Passover preparations ready. And now on that exact time, God, God is the God of order. The God is the God of the details. There's nothing insignificant. 40 years to the day, they pass over and enter in. 40 years from the time that they prepared the Passover lamb to the day, to the day, 40 years of just wandering to the day, God says, now's the time. Boom, he brings them into the land. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.